From Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal, and this is a Vinepair Podcast Next Round Conversation. We're bringing you these episodes in between our regular podcasts so we can explore a broader range of issues and stories in the drinks world. And today I'm speaking with Chrissy Whitman, the uh, Director of Winemaking at the Prisoner Wine Company in Napa Valley. Chrissy, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you, Zach, for inviting me. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got to, I want to start a little bit by talking about your own background and kind of how um, you ended up uh, in wine and, and then at uh, the prisoner. So, so maybe kind of how did, how did your career in wine get started? Yeah. You know, um, I certainly didn't grow up around any great vines. Um, I grew up okay. in a beautiful downtown Burbank in Southern California. Fair enough. And to, parents who really didn't consume a lot of alcohol at all. And what my dad did consume was, was jug wine. Okay. So and that's what I remember growing up. So I went away to college at uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Okay. And in pursuit of a degree in actually uh, physical education um, or kinesiology. And just along on my travels throughout college, I decided that's not what I wanted to do. And I changed to environmental science. Okay. And that was really interesting. Um, however, when I graduated, I didn't really want to go back to LA okay. and there weren't a, a ton of positions um, supporting that uh, where I was at, but I ended up landing a job um, analyzing soil and wastewater, which is very glamorous. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> And in the area, it was Edna Valley a Viticultural Area, and okay. there was a, a little lab inside that lab that supported the local wine industry, analyzing their wines and grapes. Gotcha. So that person who used to do that analysis went on vacation, and they asked me to fill in for him. And I said, sure, why not? Not really knowing anything. The wine that I had had up to that point was Corbett Canyon White Zinn and, and Boone's Farm. So Gotcha. I did that for a little bit, and then I eventually saw an ad for another winery uh, in the area, and I said, oh, I've done that. Um, that was significantly more money than what I was making currently, and so I applied for that and eventually got hired on, and, and that was it, and it's been you know, 20 years plus since then, and just had some really good mentors, and I've just kind of worked my way up uh, over the last, you know, over my career, so it's got been it. great. So do you remember the first time you tried The Prisoner? Yeah. You know, it was definitely different than um, anything I was making at the time. Uh, at the time when I tried The Prisoner, I was working as winemaker and general manager at um, a winery in Templeton called uh, Wild Horse Winery. Uh, okay. And we focused on Pinot Noir uh, and Chardonnay. Okay. And so The Prisoner was very different um, sure. from that. Uh, I didn't, I'm pretty open-minded, so I, there wasn't, you know, it was more of kind of like an experimentation for me. Sure. Um, but I can tell you when I interviewed and eventually got hired as the director of winemaking for The Prisoner, that it's been some of the best winemaking, um, the hardest winemaking, challenging um, winemaking that I've ever done. So gotcha. learned so much in the last five years than the previous 15. It's been, it's been awesome. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit first about the sort of flagship wine. Um, and then we can talk a little about some of the other wines that you're making now as well. First for, for I mean, it's, this seems silly to say for people who are unfamiliar because it's such a recognizable and well-known wine, but yet I think maybe because of its, um, you know, kind of uh, reputation maybe, and also just kind of the, the, the style in many ways, 
I think people know they like it, but they don't know a lot about it. Like what, what is the prisoner? Like what goes into it and, and, and how is it made? Yeah. The prisoner, I think what, what has made it, you know, not famous, but you know, what have made No, it's pretty damn famous for wine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think what, what, what has made it really successful is that it is very approachable, has super soft tannins. Um, it has a lot of aromatics. It's a very giving wine. Um, and, you know, you can go to the store, you could buy it off the shelf, and you can drink it right away. So there's, you know, although it, it can age well for a short time, um, uh-huh. there is no aging required. So I, I think that is really good, especially in this day and age of, you know, I, I say that we make wines for the impatient. Um, and, you know, that includes myself. And, you know, so it's, uh, I think those are the main characteristics that have made it so successful. What goes into it is um, a lot of patience, perseverance, uh, hard work, anxiety, um, you know, and just, we deal with, uh, you know, many different varieties that go into that blend. So uh, Zinfandel, Syrah, Petite Syrah, Merlot, Cabernet, um, Charbonneau, and all of them grow differently and we harvest them at different uh, ripeness. And we harvest them at increased ripeness to attain the really approachable tannin profile. Gotcha. And that, that alone kind of makes the wine a bit difficult to make and get through fermentation. Okay. Um, because once you get a, a higher level of alcohol, the yeast are not, you know, super keen on performing gotcha. to finish that. So it, th- that's where the patience comes in. That's where the anxiety comes in. <laughs> but it is super rewarding, you know, after, you know, we'll, we'll do harvest September, October. Uh, the wines will age. We'll start, you know, really grading them and, and looking at blends after the first of the year, so like February, and you really see the, the fruits of the labor, you know, from the vineyard, from winemaking, um, come to fruition. And once you get all of the different lots blended, mm-hmm. and what we do is like a bench blend, so it's on the, okay. on the bench top, uh, it's like, oh my gosh, you taste it, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's Prisoner. And it's just amazing how, how it comes together. Do you find that that year to year, the the sort of proportions of the different varieties are are pretty similar, or or do you get some pretty different blends that nonetheless still kind of have that you know kind of intrinsic prisoner character? I would say uh, from year to year, there there could be you know a couple percentages difference sure. in the different varieties because um, the main thing that we want to do is that for all of our consumers who look forward to the release of the prisoner each year is that we want to maintain consistency. And so that's why, you know, just depending on, on the season, those varietal, you know, proportions may vary in order to get the, the best uh, consistency and quality that we can in that wine. And as far as kind of, I don't want to get too much into the into the details of winemaking, although it's of interest to me. But but you know, you mentioned kind of looking for this higher level of ripeness to to kind of get that 
that softness in the wine. Are there things in the winemaking process beyond that, that, that also kind of contribute to that? Like, you know, what you might be uh, aging the wine in or, or some of the sort of winery techniques that again, don't have to go into great detail, but, but I'm just curious kind of other ways in which you might be working towards that end goal. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, so a couple of the ways that we can look at the, the profile of the wine and maintaining its approachability is um, one is through um, what we call cap management or the pump overs sure. that happen in the winery to extract the color and extract the color and tannin from the red grapes. So if you increase the amount of turnover you have in your tank, you, in, you can increase the amount of color to a certain extent um, and certainly increase the amount of tannin. And then the longer that you have your grapes in the tank while they ferment and the longer they are in the presence of alcohol, um, you can extract additional seed tannin, which is the bitter tannin that we really try to keep out. So we try to shorten the length of time that our grapes are in the tank fermenting. So that is a, a key component um, outside of harvesting that can help. And then aging, all of our wines are aged 100% barrel aged, and we make sure that they have the appropriate oak um, that uh, uh, complements, you know, just what we need to get with the wine. So that helps as well. Makes sense. I want to actually ask a question that I intended to ask uh, earlier and, and sort of jumped over in my notes. Apologies. I wonder too, you know, Chrissy, taking over the this, the helm of a, such a, a well-known and recognizable wine, uh, like on the one hand, you obviously have some advantages that come with that. You have, you know, obviously a very avid uh, fan base and you have, um, you know, presumably a decent amount of resources at your disposal. But of course, there's also, I imagine, a lot of pressure. Like, was there any part in taking the job where you were like, I don't know that I want to, you know, be responsible for such an iconic wine? Or is that the whole the whole excitement in it? You know, it's, it's interesting um, because when I first got hired on, so many people asked me, you know, are you feeling a lot of pressure? And, you know, I, I was kind of like, no, not, no, I don't, I don't <laughs> feel, I don't feel that, you know, I kind of know what is ahead of me sort of, <laughs> and you will kind of take it as it comes. Now being five years into this position, if you ask me the same questions, it's like, heck yeah. I feel a lot of pressure, you know, because there, there's always, you know, that, um, you know, wanting to keep building on the, the prisoner name and uh, produce new products that, that complement our portfolio, you know, and so, but, and we have been, we kind of have free reign of what the profiles of these wines look like, but, um, yeah, initially, not so much, you know, gotcha. three, four years in. Mm, yeah, feeling a, a little bit, but, you know, it's, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and I'm up for the challenge. Very cool. So you mentioned some of the kind of additional wines that have been now released under sort of the broader prisoner umbrella. Do you, can you can we talk a little bit first about about the decision to make uh, a varietally labeled Cabernet Sauvignon, because obviously Cabernet Sauvignon has always been a, a part of the prisoner, but the idea of making a wine that, that says that on the label, like what, what was the, what went behind, what was behind that and, and kind of what's it, what's it been like? 
Yeah, so uh, making the prisoner uh, Cabernet has been great because, you know, like I said about the Redland, um, you know, our, across the portfolio, we want to create wines that are, are super approachable, ready to drink. And, you know, the, the prisoner cab is Napa Valley Appellated. And so when we look at other Cabernets um, that are made from our neighbors, you know, they're, they're definitely made in a tr traditional sense um, and in very much uh, in an age-worthy style. So, um, you know, in addition, uh, as traditional as Napa Valley is, you know, there's many of the, the, cab, the cabs are either 100% varietal or only blended with other Bordeaux varieties. And that's where we kind of buck that trend a little bit um, is, you know, we'll use other, other varieties in there, Syrah, uh, Petite Syrah, uh, maybe Malbec or, you know, something too. Um, and I know Malbec is a Bordeaux variety, but, you know, just some, some different uh, varieties that really just enhance the Cabernet and, and make it, you know, in a more approachable way. So okay. um, I love, you know, showcasing the prisoner cab that it's more in a ready to drink now style, but has, you know, pretty good ageability um, as well. Gotcha. And then how about Chardonnay, which to me is, you know, maybe a more, I, I mean, Cabernet is a very, very natural partner. And obviously Chardonnay is a, you know, a, a very recognizable variety unto itself and, and, and quite acclaimed in California. But, but was it, was that, kind of the only consideration for a white wine that was varietally labeled or were you, was there anything else that might've made sense? Uh, there, you know, there, I think Chardonnay was, um, you know, it, it's extremely popular, you know, the, the opportunity there is, is high. And for us to, you know, create the Chardonnay with different varieties, such as, you know, whether it's Roussan or Gewürztraminer or um, Viognier in it, uh, you know, is is always a good chance for the prisoner chino to get a chardonnay blend out there as far as other varieties go um there has been consideration for other varieties to to be produced under the prisoner label um you know we're working a lot through strategy right now and kind of you know figuring out the right varieties for the different brands that we're making sure. uh so there's there's going to be some other varieties coming out under some other labels that the prisoner is is working on. And and speaking of kind of some of those other you know those other labels and other sort of ideas I guess that th under the you know broader kind of again prisoner umbrella maybe because I think probably some of our a fair number of listeners might not be familiar with Unshackled, which is kind of the newest as far as I'm aware the kind of newest set of releases. What what are what are those wines and, and what's the kind of idea behind them? So Unshackled, we released, geez, probably a year, maybe two years ago, up to two okay. years ago. And the idea behind those wines is really to uh, provide some additional accessibility for wines made by the prisoner. Okay. Um, because the, the prisoner red blend itself, you know, is, you know, is a $50 bottle, you know, uh, with the caveat, depending on where you buy it from. But, you know, so we really wanted to produce, produce some some nice approachable full flavored uh, wines under a label that was a, a bit more um, economical. And so that was a, a big idea behind Unshackled. Um, Unshackled has 
let's see, the varieties currently out there are, uh, we have a red blend, and then we have a, have a cab, and a Sauvignon Blanc. Gotcha. So all of these are, are California appellated okay. um, and have their own kind of sourcing uh, requirements, which in, inherently creates a, diff, a slightly different profile um, than, than the prisoner wines. So um, it's kind of a, a step in the door to the prisoner wine company and, uh, you know, just kind of see what we're all about. Uh, and then we also have uh, Saldo, which uh, is uh, currently uh, California Zinfandel uh, yeah. and has done extremely well. Um, and we will be releasing some new wines uh, here shortly uh, under Saldo, another red wine and a white wine. And I wanted to ask too, you know, I'm curious about what the the sort of is the through line kind of for all of these um all of the various expressions now kind of this idea uh fundamentally of of approachability um and and in addition is there anything else that you see as kind of being besides obviously your hands like being kind of a consistent theme across all the different wines now yeah you know i mean uh, yeah consistent theme is the approachability and balance um, you know, the, the amount of aromatics and depth you're going to get out of the wines, you know, okay. for their price point compared to others. Um, additionally, you know, with, with our brands, with our brands, we want to be able to differentiate. And so there's much more of a focus on different varieties, maybe more obscure varieties uh, that will be coming out in the future to just provide, you know, just some excitement about the whole prisoner program, because, we we have been using working with a lot of varieties you know over the past you know 20 plus years and and now's a chance for us to really exhibit like what has gone into our wines and what is special about the different varieties you know it could be tempranillo could be um chenin blanc it could you know uh and also, you know, the different regions that we source from throughout the state. So, you know, there obviously there's Napa Valley, but Jesus, just such beautiful areas and wines that come from Mendocino, Sierra Foothills, you know, Paso Robles, you know, and it's just uh, um, a, a tremendous way to be able to showcase those, you know, to to the consumer. Very cool. Last kind of question for you, Christy, is when. People, you know, because I think one of the things that is that I've I've always known, you know, prisoner obviously has a very uh, clear aesthetic to it. I mean, both in the wine and the bottle, but the labels and all that, and the name, of course, itself too. How uh, <laughs> this is like a silly question, I guess, but like, you know, what what does that all that kind of does that aesthetic play some role in? And kind of how you approach your job, or is it just kind of like, hey, this is, you know, I, I, I don't know if this is a question that makes sense. I'm, as I'm saying it out loud, I'm having a hard time even formulating it. But if, does this make any, does this spark anything in you, like this idea that, like, you know, the, 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 there isn't, it's not a, the prisoner is not so and so estate or so and so vineyard where they're kind of, you know, there is, there is a whole aesthetic that comes along with it. What, what is it like to work with that? Uh, you know, working with the prisoner, um, and kind of the feel to me it's more of a feeling that goes around um what it is uh is great uh for me um there's a lot of variety 
uh, you know, of course there's expectations, but there's a lot of creativity involved, which, you know, I'm a pretty technical person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always kind of like denied the creativity part, but I mean, ultimately, <laughs> it's, you know, I think it's becoming more creative now. It's, it's like, it's flipping, you know, I started mm-hmm. off really analytical. Now I'm, I'm definitely on the more creative side. Um, and, and not letting there be too many boundaries, you okay. know, of what can of what what you can do with blending, um, sourcing, and and all that. And so when you look at the prisoner, and you know, I mean, the main thing about the prisoner label itself is it is a piece of art, you know. And sometimes that gets misconstrued um, because of the name, but it, it is a piece of art, and that's ultimately what what we're doing is is recreate creating more and more, you know, art-like things that go in the bottle, um, but that start in the bottle, go through the label and come through our winemaking team. You know, I mean, it's, I feel like my personality fits, you know, I'm I'm easygoing, um, try to think outside the box and really not let anything uh, keep us too, um, uh, you know, too cramped up, you know, it's. Gotcha. So that's that's kind of how I see it. I don't know if that that makes sense. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, it's it's definitely you can you can see the that there's both a sort of maybe some some people might see constraints there again, kind of apropos of the name, but others might see a certain you know yeah you said creative space and all that and the idea that you can that to some extent it can be you know, it can be the wine that you want it to be as long as it also is the wine that of course your, your many loyal fans want it to be. And so that, that's kind of probably a, a nice freedom that maybe not all winemakers have. Right. Yeah. And I want people to enjoy it. You know, um, you, you like what you like and, um, you know, that's what ultimately when I, you know, work with, go out and do marketing and stuff like that, you know, I mean, that's, that's most of the fun is just seeing people enjoy what they're doing and, seeing what they think, you know, and I don't want to take that away from any of them. Excellent. Well, Chrissy, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, super interesting to learn more about, you know, like I said, one of these iconic wines that yet, you know, for a lot of people is you may be kind of pleasantly shrouded in a certain amount of mystery, but uh, nice to go behind the curtain a touch and just get a little more feel for, for how it's made and, and, and how you think about it. So again, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Zach, for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also... I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.